Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. We're going to be talking today with Brandon, and he is the director of Frost. We also know him um, from the Black Dahlia Hunt, uh, Haunting and House of Manson um, and the Dawn. So um, this he's you're in Austin, Texas. No, no, I'm in um, I'm in California, but I was born. Oh. In- so. You were born in Austin. Okay. Cause I'm like, I'm in Texas too. So it's like, Ooh, a fellow Texan. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so it is, uh, the writers are James Colin Bresick, whom I, I've, we've interviewed tons of people and he's always been like a constant writer for things and he's amazing. And I'm like, I need to get him on the show now because we've yeah. got him, but he, uh, did limelight and captors, um, and Robert Thompson, and it's starring, starring Vernon Wells, uh, Devani, Devani, how does Devin. she always say your name? Devani. Uh, Penn, and then Venus de Milo Thomas. So um, now in my research, you started off as a heavy metal, <laughs> yep. heavy metal uh, singer, right? Yes. Yes, yes. I, I've, been, I've been waiting for people to ask me about that just because it's like front and center in my IMDb. Um, but yeah, this was 20 odd years ago. I was the front man and kind of the Trent Reznor of a, a new metal band called Die Section that was actually based in Texas out of Dallas. Um, and we had a, a good run for a few years. And then because we were young, kind of imploded. Um, it's one of those things where the, the drummer, who's one of my closest friends to this day, and I uh, say, you know, if we just knew what we knew now, then, you know, we would have been big, but who knows? And, you know, life would have been different. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun for a few years and I'm glad I did it because some of the things that, and some of the advice, some of the business advice I didn't take at the time still applies to movies, um, because they're both kind of treacherous businesses. So it, it all works. (laughs) Yeah, no. And that's cool. And, And like the thing that I, I'm a big, huge music fan. Um, and so the first thing, cause like when you're opening, you have this resonant, like, like I loved the soundtrack of of the movie itself like all of the music was very well placed and picked out for each specific scene and it really kind of enhanced things um what was your did that your past having the whole heavy metal experience uh help affect your musical choices for this i'm in in every movie i do i'm really picky about this excuse me the score um this one since um cleopatra records was the producer and funder of it they um so the original deal was so so james had come to us with the story and he pitched it to us pitched it to cleopatra it was all based on this um very loosely based on this true story that happened in china um of a a, to a woman that had crashed in a snowstorm um and so like right off the bat i was excited because i in high school and college i i listened to cleopatra's artists like religiously um especially bands like frontline assembly who are on the soundtrack and and some other things. So I'm, I'm just traditionally very, very particular about uh, how the music is used and ranged, what the tone is. Um, this one's interesting because the, the music itself is kind of throwback. It has kind of like a 70s synth feel, um, which uh, we used or I used to push uh, Vernon's character. It's implied that he was like a former like musician before he decided to go be a recluse in the woods. So it's kind of, the music is kind of, you can almost say like it's his inner monologue. 
And that's really cool because like I did notice like the different tones in, in each in each music and um and, and the way that it kind of um like you were saying with uh with Vernon and his character, it helped tie in very nicely uh into the character that he is, um, and and the scene around the ambiance and the feel of everything. And um, so that was marvelously done. I, and I really enjoyed it. You know, like I could have just watched it all over again just for the soundtrack. Cause it was like, it was phenomenal. Um, so that does lead me to a question. Are you guys gonna do a soundtrack of the movie? <laughs> Actually, Cleopatra is releasing one. Um, they have a, uh, one second, let me grab it. They have a vinyl. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. And it's on vinyl. That is is like you can't get any better than that like I, I love that we've gone into a digital age where you've got like the streaming and stuff but it's it's almost like you know going into a library and getting a real book it's just got yeah, this yeah. smell this this you know nostalgia and the the, the crisp but the, also the crackling distortion is just beautiful so I'm I'm gonna have to get me one of those now so thank you for pointing that out <laughs> one of those cool things where and maybe it's because I'm getting old but I miss that area of you know, being able to even like buy a CD that had the linear notes and everything. And, you know, you can unfold like 20 pages. And I, I read like obsessively, even like the special thanks that people put in albums, just because I'm like, oh, they know this guy, they're, they're friends. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, I miss those days. And up until recently, I still bought Blu-rays like religiously too. Um, I, I only don't now just because it's, it's hard to keep up and it, you know, costs a lot of money. And, and so many it things does. releases either. Um, thankfully, Cleopatra is putting this out on Blu-ray and DVD. And actually, the second disc of the Blu-ray is a CD soundtrack. So, yeah, they're really oh, pushing. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. I love that they're doing that. That's amazing. And, yeah, I agree with you. Like, the CDs, I would always, like, I would read the lyrics because it's hard sometimes to get the lyrics off of, like, the radio or whatever. Um but I would read the lyrics and then I, I'd see who the writers were because, you know, for me being an author, uh, the words and the lyrics are like the, the soul of okay. um, the music. And, and then the music itself is the heart and it, they kind of have to work together to produce like this incredible, you know, melody or whatever. Um, so like, I always would look at the writers, see if the artists wrote their own songs or whoever else. And then I'd research that and be like, well, what is the meaning of this song? So I'm really excited about that. Yay. One of those things that I never thought doing movies now that I would have a movie that would have a soundtrack release just because that's not really done so much anymore. So, you know, it may not happen again, but I'm, I'm glad that we have it. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so excited about that. Um, so I also had a question about um, the choice of actors and actresses, they were phenomenally placed. And it, I know that you worked uh, before one of the movies that you had previously done um, with, a, I'm going to forget her name again, Devonny? Devonny. Devonny. I'm going to have to phonetically spell that out because my R2-D2 self uh, is, is butchering this and it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, but I know you worked with her previously before, correct? Yes, yes, many, many times. Um, so yeah, um, actually James had come to both of us because um, she was actually pregnant in the movie, that's not special effects. So he had come across that story and came specifically to us to direct and produce and star in it. So really kind of from the get-go, it was designed as a, as a vehicle to take advantage of, and she's been actually saying this in some of her interviews, you don't really see a lot of pregnant female leads in movies. Um, 
she said that it's kind of looked upon as taboo. And until she said that, I didn't, I'm like, huh, you know what? It, it, it really is. You, you don't, they're usually like a minor supporting character, or maybe it's like a plot thread, but it's not the focal point of a movie. Um, so anything that feels real in the movie in terms of um, trauma from birth or whatever is very genuine. Um, and Vernon, uh, I had in a movie called Crossbreed a few years ago, and we had known him loosely for about 10 years. And, you know, he's known for like the Road Warrior and Commando and all these like really iconic 70s and 80s movies. Um, but he, he rarely gets to play something similar to himself. And he's he's very um, has a very warm personality, a sense of humor, um, which really uh, he gravitated towards in this. And he was very appreciative that we wanted him to just play a guy who was a father rather than the villain or some kind of like caricature. And don't get me wrong, he has fun with those and he's great with those, but he he really embraced being able to do something that was different and more heartfelt. Um, and uh, yeah, if I go in any farther, it'll be a uh, spoiler territory. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's the thing, like I, I and I, I was a big, um, 70s 80s early nine like 90s even um horror fan and you know action fan yeah. um and, and I, so I remember and now I do like a combination of both of those so so yeah that's that's my jam but uh yeah he's yeah. like I call from that era he is he is and so it was really exciting to see him because um I was talking to uh Yulia uh class about captors which uh James also wrote um but I was talking to her about like the stereotype and um, being typecast yeah. and it, you know, how like painful it is because it stifles their creativity. It stifles growth. It stifles a lot of things. So I'm really excited to have been able to see the range uh, from him in this in this piece. He did marvelous. And yeah, like I just uh, she's she's right about the whole um the pregnancy thing. And that's something that Pup and I were talking about was, you know, like ageism for women in Hollywood on top of like, you know, the, the pregnancy and then, and the normal stages of, you know, being a woman, not being represented. And I am so incredibly excited to find out that she was really, and that's the thing is like, you can kind of tell if they're not really pregnant, just the, the prosthetics doesn't sit right or whatever, but it looked, it looked incredibly believable that she was. So it makes sense that she actually was. It was interesting shooting because um, being pregnant restricts certain things, of course. So she couldn't really scream a lot. We, we would have to stop and give her a break. Or we did some takes where um, she didn't actually do vocalization. She just did the expressions and we added this actual screaming later on when it was, more, I guess, conducive to her to be able to do that. So there, there were some things we had to work around, but you don't really see them. Like, I, I think it, I think it came off as believable. So you wouldn't know that that was her actually screaming, you know, three months later and things like that. So, and we had, yeah, no, I had no clue. Y'all guys did great on the editing bit because I had absolutely no clue about that. It fit in so marvelously, like seamless is what yeah. it was. So um, I had no clue that this was kind of based on a true story. So that's kind of crazy to find out about. Yeah, that's from, awesome. And like there, there was no, all the family drama and it wasn't present, but it was really just the story of survival where this girl had crashed in a, um, in a, a park off of a, a highway somewhere. And once again, without going to spoiler territory, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, that's the thing is like, um, some of these movies that you see, 
uh, and, and Captors was another great example of, you know, Yulia carrying the whole film, basically. Uh, and that's what uh, Devani did. She she carried the whole film uh, basically just by herself because it's it's her in the single spot and it's her, you know, going through these these feelings of, you know, this range of emotions. And she did that so incredibly well. Um, it, it, you either do it right or you do it wrong. And you guys nailed it with this piece. It was, it was a challenge because, so this came about during COVID when we had had projects canceled and stuff. And a lot of the other things I've been doing have much bigger scale and, you know, gigantic crew and stuff. But, you know, we're like, we gotta do something. And so I was nervous actually at first about doing something that focused just on someone sitting in a like space that was this big. Um, but it really ended up being something that really kind of challenged and was conducive to creativity, um, you know, because she's really just in this space and kind of, you know, tries to go out the window and goes in the back, but it's like a six foot space versus like other things I do where it's people running around in a million locations. So I, I it, it, at first I was like, how do I, how do I do this? Like, it was tough to wrap my head around, but then it got to be exhilarating just, you know, trying to get into that, that, that ch- taking on that challenge of, you know, where, the, the most, you know, motion she can do is like reach under her chair or, you know, lean out the window or something like that and then keep that interesting. So it was, like I said, it was, it was rough at first, but then you're like, Hey, this is, this is kind of cool. I like what we're doing here. Yeah. And, and then, you know, she's got the impeded range of motion also due to pregnancy. So like that even made it even more complicated, I'm sure as far as that's concerned, but I mean, she nailed it. You guys nailed it from, you know, the cinema, cinema photography, where the angles and things like that, um, it was just in the, the lighting uh, was fantastically done. Um, and, you know, to, um, you, oh, I have to credit our DP, uh, Kelton, who I hadn't worked with before, but he um, comes from a background of photographing, of, of shooting special effects. So that actually really helped in terms of staging and layering um, things that were in the frame. For instance, there's this there's a number of shots you see different stages of the car and the camera's kind of dollying past and some of them are less snow, some of them are more. So we shot this, it was like 60 degrees outside in reality. And he, he did great it because of his background in photographing miniatures, staging like uh, different branches and stuff and just putting snow in particular areas where it really cheated this big landscape um, when really there was just a little bit of snow here and there. Um, but watching it, um, especially now that I'm so, you know, disconnected from it now, you, you really believe that you're there when, you know, if you, if you opened up to the wider shot, everything's green. That's crazy. That, that's insane. And cause he, yeah, he did such a great job and you felt the time passing just because of the, the more snow building up on the car and, you know, and the icicles getting bigger and, you know, yeah. like, I mean, you see these, yeah, you see time passing and then, you know, slowly, you know, things like her makeup and stuff like that was incredible. So who was your makeup artist on that? Um, her name is uh, Megan Monroe. And this was, uh, I, she was also feeling this, the sting of not having uh, done a lot of <laughs> projects over COVID. And then our special effects artist, uh, Oliver Poser, um, it's really his last name. Um, or maybe, I don't know if he pronounces it differently. Maybe I should ask him this, but they, they sort of teamed up on the different stages of her being 
cold or frozen looking, you know, with the, um, like towards the end of the movie in the last act, you see all the like frost, <laughs> frost on her mouth and, you know, where she's breathing and stuff like that. Um, so that, that really, that was actually helpful, not just to her and to her performance, but also to the, to us behind the camera, just believing we were in that situation when it was actually sunny outside. Um, right. You know, if you have tunnel vision and just look there, like, oh man, it's 30 degrees. Um, meanwhile, birds are chirping nearby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like every, like I just sat there and, you know, going into this, you know, you kind of are like, well, and, and I've seen, you know, House of Manson. So I know the quality of work in which you normally do. And I know that this is a smaller project with a smaller budget. So I was sitting here like, okay, the music is impeccable. It's on point. And then you go into like the opening scenes and stuff. And you're like, wow, because usually with smaller budgets, I mean, you have to make use of everything that's around you. You have to like, your camera angles have to be right yeah. on target, you know, like, continuity you know like all of that stuff has to be just so because you really only have a little bit of playroom yeah. and wiggle room to get things done so i think you guys y'all y'all did a great job with setting up the scenes and the settings and making sure that every like the angles even just um for the actress and you know the actors that were in the scene was fantastic and it really seemed like because they you know vernon and Devani knew each other previously what I think helped with that relationship feeling between daughter and and father was that closeness that they already shared was that something that you guys felt like on set was like there's this family uh, yeah. kind of feeling well I, I think I think um aside from already knowing him the fact that the crew was so small um really had that like intimacy and we were able to develop that chemistry where everyone can play off of each other. Um, plus, you know, we all started years ago on tiny things that we kind of did ourselves. So it was just like kind of grassroots going back to your origins kind of thing. Um, and Vernon's actual personality, like I said, is very much like this. He's kind of like your lovable uncle in, in person. Um, and, you know, and we had gotten to know him over the years. And so it was easy just to fall into that. Um, it, what, what's funny is we, we went through a lot of other like names uh, that we uh, sent to Cleopatra to get approval for. Um, but even from the beginning, like we always kind of knew it would be Vernon. Um, like it just, something about it just made sense, but we figured we still play the game and say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about this guy? Um, but it, it, it really just, it had to be him. Like no, no question. Aside from the fact that it's refreshing that you see him a different side of him. It was just really, I think it just helped everyone um, so I, I do this thing intentionally where if, if I have anything to do with the schedule, I try to put certain scenes where, you know, they get to know the characters early on in the schedule. So one of the first things we filmed was actually their dinner scene where you learn about their entire history. And I, I think that helped everyone from the get go really just be invested in, you know, pulling off this small movie with a fraction of the budget that we're used to that we're used to working with and just making it about these characters and make it helping you follow them. Um, so I, I hope that we, we pulled it off. Well, and I really think you did like, uh, that's one thing that I really enjoyed because there are some movies where it just kind of skips around and you start off kind of lost trying to figure out. And, and, and it's really hard for those kinds of movies to really pull it off in the end. And there are some really great movies out there that are, that do, but I, I loved the, the being able to kind of emotionally invest 
in um, the characters before, especially because of the actions that happen that lead to the massive event, you know, like it would be hard to kind of do like a flashback scene in that and still get that kind of that sentimental pull there. Um, and, and, and then the hearing the words is like, you know, I, I won't fail you. I won't let you down this time. And then you're sitting there left wondering, you know, at the end of everything is like, how is, how is he coping? You know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that ending. Uh, the ending is interesting. I like that you called it the the massive event. That's really kind of perfect. Um, that, that's I, I don't normally do a lot of gore, but I and I was even kind of weird going into the shooting it. My God, this is this could be kind of sketchy. Um, but once we saw the the special effect and it was one of the last things we shot, we figured we'd just go all in. And just really go for it. And the worst that could happen is we just cut it back. So um, we actually had our first screening the other day at the uh, North Hollywood Cinefest. And I, I introduced the movie, but I couldn't stay for it because I had to go deal with some other stuff. But um, Devony told me the first thing she said was people responded the way that they needed to. And whether that's good or bad, it still kind of does its job. Well, and that's the thing is like, I'm sitting there like, you know, it was just... It was an on-seat kind of thriller with the emotional, like, because I'm a mom. So, like, I'm coming at this, like, oh, my gosh. Like, some of this, like, it's, and before I even knew that it was, like, a based on a, a real-life event kind of thing, I was sitting there through the whole thing, like, whoa, this could really happen. This, like, the ability of this is, and that's what's terrifying to me. It's, like, I, you know, this could really happen to somebody. And, you know, now I know it did. But, you know, seeing the the struggle um and the the fear aspect of you know knowing that you know things are happening and and events are happening and and the order that they're happening it's really believable which is horrifying to me you know in the sense of like and then the ending i think was spot on i think emotionally i was like so close but yet so far and i was you know, it, it got me into tears because I was like, no, you know, after all of this, no, but yeah. it was, it was brilliant. You guys did amazing with that. And I think that, you know, the, the gore aspect, which for those that are listening, it's, it's not super gory in general. So if that's a thing that you're worried about, don't be, but it is a perfect ending. It is a perfectly executed ending uh, I, I for that. The act is maybe more, the idea of the act is maybe more gory than what is really shown. It's kind of like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that really doesn't have a lot in it, but it's just the implication and the visceralness makes you think that you see way more of it than you really do. Um, right. And yeah, no, that's totally what happened. And, uh, and I like movies like that because it leaves a lot to the imagination of the viewer rather than, you know, kind of like telling them this is what's going on. And I really enjoyed that about the whole the film itself was a lot of the stuff was left up to imagination for the viewer. You know, it, it was, it was subtly done to where you could sit there and say like off camera, this has to be happening, you know? And um, so it was that added to the, um, the anticipation and kind of the fear of it all. Um, and I, I think you guys just, y'all did an amazing job on all on it from like effects, music, acting, angles, you know, it was incredibly done. So kudos to you guys. 
there's some really like one of my favorite like subtle things in it is um when she knows that she you know she's pregnant she needs to continue to eat or to feed her baby and the only thing that is in the car are worms um <laughs> and that sounds like a very simple thing but if you were in that situation that would be just disgusting but you know you don't know when your next meal is going to be so you have to do it um a lot of her reaction of actually like picking it up and dropping it and and everything was very real because we had real like earthworms in the little thing and she didn't really eat one she ate like a gummy worm with oreos on it but um but yeah just picking it up and her dropping it and everything i think even um kelton and i were on two different cameras watching it and she's like "Ooh, uh, i'm i'm not even pregnant i i can't get pregnant and this is still horrible like that you know that seem really kind of mundane out of context would hopefully those really have an effect on people well, it did it did because i was sitting there like some of the stuff i was like well well you know because like i'm imagining myself like in seventh grade my uh, science teacher she you know we did a we were getting ready for our dissecting thing and my science teacher was kind of off the walls and she would bring in like chocolate covered crickets or ants or whatever and then she brought in like these worms and was like eating them and i'm sitting here like i had flashbacks to that because i was like horribly grossed out i was like oh so i'm yeah no she nailed it and so it's it's really kind of cool that it's like her real reactions that you guys filmed and that's what makes it so powerful and beautiful is because i would be doing the same thing and she nailed it because she was really doing the same thing so yeah i mean even when she like opened the little container they were moving around in there and so i i think every reaction was really just her seeing it for the first time going, oh my god and and even when she ate the gummy worm it was still i think it like it had gotten in her head so much that it just felt like it was still real to her yeah like x factor back in that show whenever you'd sit there and you'd be like stick your hand in this box you don't know what's in it it's just cool so well that is that's really cool um so what do you have coming up you have any other projects coming up outside of this so i was lucky that even though we were was really antsy that i had stuff canceled and stuff during covid right after this i ended up doing four other movies kind of in a row um, so I have like two years worth of movies coming out. Um, the first one after this was, is kind of like the running man where it's a, a violent game show called arena wars. That one's almost finished. Then later in the um, year, I did a, um, one that Devaney produced actually called breakout, which is a, uh, diehard in a prison type movie with, um, my dear friend, Louis Mandalore and Brian Krause from charmed as the villain. And he's actually a really good villain, uh, believe it or not. Um, after that, we did. I did one in Thailand called Battle for Saipan that Lewis was also in with Jeff Fahey and Casper Van Dien. That's a war movie, sort of also similarly kind of based on a true story, um, but it has a lot of just really brutal hand-to-hand -hand combat because I got to work with a lot of Tony Jaws stunt team out there, which was really kind of amazing. Um, and that one actually comes out next month, uh, November 25th through Saban Paramount um, theaters and then digital. And then after that, I did a movie also in Thailand with that same company called The Flood, which is basically Sultan Precinct 13 meets Crawl with Lewis again, because I can't get rid of him, Casper, um, because I can't get rid of him either, apparently, and Nikki Whalen. Um, and then I, I wrote a couple of things. I wrote another war movie called Three Days in Malay that Lewis directed. And then for a change of pace, I did a rewrite on a teen coming of age story called The Midway Point with uh, Laura Birch and 
Alexander Daddario's sister, Catherine, and um, James Ryan Fox, I think is his name from a Nickelodeon show. I, I don't keep up. But uh, yeah, so I, I was lucky to get really, really busy after the long drought of knowing no one knowing what was going to happen during the pandemic. Gosh, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh, that's that's like a lot. How are you handling all of that? Well, for a while, a lot of the movies were in post-production at the same time. So it was really kind of stressful and hard to keep track of. But now, as most of them are finished, it's 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 easy now. So now I'm I'm eager to get into the next thing, which there's some possibilities floating around, but I don't have the lock of knowing like what exactly is next. But I feel like I'll know soon. That's awesome. That's incredible. And I cannot wait. I'm like, and see, you're hitting all of those sweet spots for me with your upcoming projects with like the action and like all of the, like, I, I, ah, so I'm really excited. So I'm going to have to keep on top of that. Um, yeah, action I just, is my first love with movies. Like I, I, I've done a, a lot of horror and I kind of grew up on both that and action, but action is like in the forefront with me. And I have like this particular, kind of like with music, I'm very particular about how it's shot and things like that. And uh, Breakout and Battle for Saipan, I think really, um, I was able to really like come into my own with the way that those were executed. So um, especially Battle for Saipan, because like I said, those stuntmen in Thailand are just fantastic. And they, they do yeah. anything. Like there was one shot actually where um, Lewis and Casper and the other lead, Owen, are going through this like um, empty hallway in this in this factory. And there's enemy soldiers on this like catwalk above. And for insurance purposes, we couldn't have them fall. And they're like, well, why not? Let's fall. It's 20 feet. And it's like nothing to them. But yeah, just I, I would if if it was my choice, I would shoot like everything out there with with that team. They were just I can't say enough good things about them. That's awesome. Okay, so now that we're stuck on action because action is my jam. Like the uh, the Expendables, heaven all all heaven all things came true whenever Expendables came out because you had all of the greats from the eighties and you know. So what is who is your favorite action star from like the eighties? Probably, it'd be a mixture of Arnold and then Van Damme. Um, Stallone, I didn't really care for until Demolition Man. I don't, I don't know why, because um, he's probably the better, like, proper actor of all of them. Um, but yeah, it was first half of the 80s, like up until like Predator, definitely uh, Arnold. And then Van Damme, just because I always had, you know, a love of martial arts. And he, you know, was such a... just and still is a really good just on-screen performer. Um, like he really knew his strengths and how to really just make everything look amazing on camera. Um, and he became a better actor over the years too. Yeah, like I think I think he started out kind of rough in the, in, in how he performed, but um, nobody went to Van Damme movies being like, hey, this guy's a really great actor. Let's go see this guy. No, in his early career, it was just like, yeah. he was incredible. He was incredible. And, and you always waited for that split scene, you know, like yeah. that there was lockers, there was bars, you were waiting for his split, you know, it was just things to look forward to. So that's, that's really cool. Um, Die Hard, is it a Christmas movie? Um, it's going to have to be a Christmas movie, no matter what Bruce Willis said on his rope, it's still a Christmas movie. <laughs> 
I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. No, like for me, um, I, I'd have to agree with you in that lineup. Um, for Demolition Man and Judge Dredd, I think Stallone really shined in that. And then so on and so forth uh, for all of his stuff. Arnold, yeah, like he's, it was, he's just an amazing, you know, actor. And it's really funny because, you know, up until the point of him doing like twins in the 80s, you really only saw one side of him, which was action guy. And then you see him with Danny DeVito and you're just like, <laughs> this guy actually has kind of got a different personality. He's, he's great, you know? And then you see him all of these other things and I'm like, wow, he's really versatile. So like, um, he was always just great at knowing and understanding his brand and, and making that work really well on camera. Um, yeah. And he knew his limitations too. And so he was very, he was great at choosing roles that really highlighted his attributes well, which a lot of, a lot of people don't really understand branding. Um, and he's like a masterclass. He really is. And, and you're right. Like even in um, not the movie industry, a lot of people just don't understand the branding and, and how to, I guess, play to your strengths. Um, so, yeah. Um, so if you were to brand yourself, what would your strengths be? What would you say? Um, so it's been kind of a long journey because I screwed up a lot. Um, but, but that's, that's life. Um, so, um, the right now, um, and, and this will make more sense as some of these other movies come out, uh, the presentation of action, I try to, I, I've looked at mistakes that I made and tried to figure out what works and how to refine those things and trying to keep heart in it. Um, like even though Frost is very nihilistic, it's not an action movie, there's still a degree of heart um, in it because I feel like, you know, you have to care about in some degree of who is either, you know, doing what happens in Frost without going too far or, or, you, or you have to care about who's kicking ass. Um, so you just, I, I really, I want it to be a combination of just brutal action, but also really feeling like you understand the character. Right. And that makes sense. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that that's something that has been missing mm -hmm. uh, in, in films as of late. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I was really happy to, to see how you've done that with with Frost and how you're going forward and, and doing that. You're bringing you're bringing back something that's been kind of missing or not so prevalent, should I say. Um, into the movie scene and it's it's really enjoyable um it, it's kind of got like the nostalgia vibes for me because that's what like I mean you had you know movies like you know Highlander and all of these that had those kind of moments and those feelings in it and then it's gotten shorter and shorter and less emotional and less you know real feeling I guess I should say um but yeah. I, I you, I'm, I'm excited I really am okay um I, I think a lot of people um, like, and you run into it with some, I don't want to say like individual names because it's not like a single person. Um, but some people think, you know, to make an action movie, you just like set up a camera and someone punches. Um, you still have to have that story. You, and you have to have that, that thing that has people along for the ride, you know, people and, and even people that are, you know, say I'm, you know, diehard action fan, they, that's what they want to see. They want, they want to, it's it, in a way, it's almost like wish fulfillment or, or, or something like that, where, where there has to just be an understanding. You can have, you can have the best choreography in the world, but if you don't care, then you don't really have a movie. And uh, for lack of a better 
way to describe this. I'm just going to go ahead and equate it to the poorly drawn horse of Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know, but um, okay. So who inspired you like as a director? Who are some of the people that you really look up to? It's a combination of Ridley and Tony Scott, um, John Woo, especially his like late eighties, like the killer hard boiled and, and so on. Um, a little bit and people online don't like me to say this, but some, there's some Michael Bay in there. Um, there, I, I gotta say, I unashamedly have to say that. Um, and then, um, Michael Mann, you know, heats and collateral and, and movies like that, but really largely it's kind of Tony Scott and John Woo. Well, and see, I like that you threw Michael Bay in there because I like Michael Bay. And I feel like he's like the nickelback of the director industry. Like people are hard on him for like whatever reason. But I'm like, I like Nickelback. I like Michael Bay. Um, you know, at like Assassin's Creed movie, you know, like all of these movies that he did, I I loved. And I'm yeah. like, but I get they're like, well, he's terrible. And I'm like, but I like him. So I like yeah. that you said that. He does. <laughs> so well and, and I feel like so many people regardless of their experience level can probably not handle that type of set and that much going on it's really kind of his own his own thing you know it's and and I also I really appreciate that he's one of the people where you can look at one of his movies without you know seeing the credits and you know that it's his movie like he his style I it, you don't see that so much anymore that you know, you, you just turn on a movie and you can tell by the framing and the tone that it's this certain director's movie. And like, that's what you can do with 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 him, with John Woo. And even to a degree with Ridley and, and definitely Tony Scott, especially like the second half of his career, you can just put on, you know, one minute of a movie and you're like, oh, that's a Tony Scott movie. That's a Michael Bay movie. And, and I feel like visual style is not really held in as high regard as it used to be. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm just seeing the wrong movies, but... But that's just, that's something I've noticed the past few years. You know, you, you look at one person's movie and it, aside from maybe the tone, it's indiscernible from the visual look of someone else's. Right. And like uh, Tarantino is really good with that visual thing too. So, you know, when you're turning on the movie, just from music stylings and the font that he chooses, that it's a Tarantino movie, um, you know, like Pulp Fiction font is just, yeah. you know, he has that all throughout. And, um, and I think, that's incredible and I like that I think that's their signature without actually being like I did this so even if their stuff was removed you would still know that that is them and I think that is a nice uh touch a nice personal touch into into doing that so do you have like something that you do like that is a signature move of yours hey right now it's kind of a mishmash of influences um, but there's certain ways that I've in the past few movies where I've moved the camera or presented the characters that would be trademarks. And especially when Saipan comes out, the action wise, especially the DP and I like saw so eye to eye with everything. It's 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 hard to really describe, but it's like a certain fluidity, but also chaos at the same time. Um, so you you clearly see action and it's not super cutty. And, and stuff like that, but it feels like it still is. Um, that really sounds like, sounds confusing, but it'll make sense, trust me. <laughs> 
you know, and but see, that's the kind of thing I like. I like organized chaos. My life is organized chaos. So I completely like I'm down for organized chaos of your trademark. So you keep doing it because I'm going to be like, I see it now. I'm in the I'm in the know. And anybody who listens to this will be in the know. And then if they don't, then they're not going to be in the know. And, you know, sucks for them. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, That is that's really cool. So um, outside of all of these wonderful films that you've got going on um, and you have the musical background, have you thought about scoring your own films? Um, I mean, in the past, I sort of did, um, but just didn't take credit for it. Um, I'd say actually probably not because I still like that sense of collaboration. Maybe it's because I was, you know, in a band, but I kind of thrive on that. And, you know, when people see eye to eye and they get really excited and they're like, Oh my God, yes, let's try that. Um, so actually, no. Um, and I will say that the composer, Daniel Figueroa, who composed for Saipan um, is a Brazilian uh, musician, mostly like rock musician who um, ended up like, recording actual taiko drums and stuff for the score, which, you know, kind of like this uh, soundtrack for Frost was another like bucket list item for me. So no, no, I, I don't think I'd ever, you know, compose something myself at all. It's just because I, I like, you know, that adrenaline when you really click with another performer. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I feed off of other people um, for creativity purposes. I can't, you know, just be al- like, I'm not a, I'm a social butterfly. I can't be alone and expect my creative juices to to do anything. So um, who would be like a top actor, actress, uh, other director or whatever that you would really like to partner with in the future? Um, probably Charlize Theron, um, Tom Hardy, um, and not in a Mad Max movie. Um, um, Donnie Yen, uh, Iko Uwais from The Raid, uh, Joe Taslam from the raid. Um, and I've worked with Tony Jaws people. So come on, Tony, let's do it. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of Asian stars actually, now that I think about it, but, um, I'd love to like bring something together just cause I like mixing cultures and, and things like that. It adds like texture and, and substance, uh, to things. Um, it turns out, you know, Tom Hardy's like a jujitsu champion now ran- randomly. So, yeah, so people need to take advantage of that, you know, not just in Warrior, but we need to, there needs to be more. I agree. Like when I saw that, I was like, what? What yeah. is he doing with his life? You know, he's like, he's like, he's, well, for lack of a better word, he's kicking ass and taking names. Like, and he's so versatile because, you know, I've, I've seen him in all of his movies, you know, like he went Bane and then he did Forrest in um, that one movie with Shia LaBeouf. And uh, anyway, it, he was phenomenal in that. He was great in Peaky Blinders. He's just such an amazing talent and so versatile. And then he comes out here doing this and I'm sitting here like fully expecting him to come out, start dancing and singing at some point. And then he's the trifecta. I, I love that in the um, pictures of him being getting his awards, he's just sort of like humbly standing there. They're like, oh yeah, that's, that's Tom Hardy. He just won. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I hope you get to work with him at least. And if you do please send him my way because he's on my freebie list he's on my top five my husband and I have and I would just oh. like to pick his brain that's it <laughs> oh, definitely definitely well once again fingers crossed for that too yeah well fingers crossed it we'll put out all the please everybody who knows please get Charlize Theron and uh Tom Hardy for us please um so 
I was wondering, do you have a choice drink? Um, I actually quit drinking two years ago, so no. Um, okay. I basically, it doesn't have to be alcoholic. Coffee, oh, monster. Um, oh, black iced coffee. Black iced coffee? Yes, with nothing in it, which apparently means you have no soul, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's the opposite because like I end up getting um, told that I'm just contaminating coffee. And so I, I'm a loser that contaminates coffee because I'll put creamer and sugar in it. And then they're like, that's not coffee anymore. It's just hummingbird juice. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Shoot, Internationally, iced coffee isn't really a thing. So I have to kind of like concoct my own version of it on set. Mm -hmm. But hopefully, hopefully like I've brought it to Asia. So uh... <laughs> that'd be great. You know, and that's the funny thing. It's like, um, I've been to Peru and I've had coffee there and it was the weirdest experience because what we know coffee here is definitely not coffee everywhere else. We, we've got this bastardized version of coffee. Um, but it was like the sludge that you add water to and then yeah. you stir it up. And I was like, this is the coolest, weirdest thing. And I've never been able to find it ever again since Peru. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So I, that, that's awesome. Well, I know that you've got other things going on and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and your busy schedule, uh, to do this sort of thing. Um, and to speak with me on all of these wonderful projects you've got coming up on frost that is going to be available when, uh, next Tuesday, the 11th on DVD, Blu-ray and digital. Awesome. And um, you guys don't want to miss it. It's an amazing, an amazing movie. It's incredible. Um, and you'll thank me later after that. You'll be writing me. Um, where or can people be connect? Why did you recommend that thing with that ending? Oh my God. But, but, but that's still good. <laughs> that's still good. Send all complaints Brandon's way. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> I'm kidding. So where can people connect with you if they want to like either find out more about the movie connect with you personally um i have the same um url for everything for uh, b-r-a-n-d-o-n-s-l-a-g-l-e for instagram facebook and twitter i'm not on twitter a lot because i don't like it i think it's stupid um and i'm and i'm used to be better at facebook but got bad at it um so instagram is probably the the best one Awesome. Well, I appreciate you and we're looking forward to your release date uh, coming up this Tuesday. Please come back. I had fun. I had fun just talking about all of the things. I like talking. So if you, <laughs> obviously, um, if you have anything else that you'd like to talk about at some point in time or promote any other movies, we would love to have you on for that. Yeah, absolutely hopefully is um so right now saipan is the only one that i know the actual release date for um so hopefully we'll know something for breakout soon which actually october coast will be handling i believe um and then the other ones will be out next year so so yeah hopefully soon sweet well you have a really great day brandon thank you so much for talking with me yeah absolutely thank you very much all right bye